G'day. Thanks for listening. Pete Murray's on the show today. And before we get to Pete, I might need to play an ad because this podcast is free for you to listen to, but it's not free to make. Rachel Barrett, my EP, and Andy Ma, my audio director, they all need money to do the magic work they do. So if you hear an ad, thank you. If you don't hear an ad, here's Pete. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This little bar, that, I don't know, maybe held a couple hundred people and uh, took the guitar and said, I'd like to try and see if I can get some work. And she said, yeah, great, we'll just go to have some lunch. So why don't you jump up there and play a few songs? Okay. I like played three songs and by the end of the day, she said, great. She said, can you start this Friday? And I'm like, uh, sure. And that, that's when I started like shitting myself. That was like, holy shit, like I've got to play this to now crowd of, you know, people. And I remember driving in on Friday night, petrified. And I got halfway down, I stopped and turned around and started driving back home again. And I stopped the car, so just turn around and go and get this done. That is singer and songwriter and dad to many, <laughs> Pete Murray. And this is Better Than Yesterday. Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is episode 390 of the show with Pete Murray, singer-songwriter Pete Murray. Uh, he's got a new EP out. It's called In the Night. More about Pete in a moment. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for the f- fabulous feedback about Hannah Carell. Wow. If you haven't gone back and had a listen to that, thanks heaps. Uh, you can email me, sandosheremail at gmail.com. Also, thanks uh, to the people that reached out and mentioned that they too have been yelling at an inanimate object over the past week. That was Friday's show that was all about that, um, particularly someone who got into a fight with an empty toilet roll. I can relate. My fight was with a suction cup. I hope you all learned something <laughs> out of Friday. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. Interesting. Uh, as well, uh, thanks for the support about um, Idol Australians with James Matheson. We had another cracking episode this week with Peter Alexander. Yeah, it was great. It was really great. Uh, more about that uh, a little later in the show. If you've never listened to this show before, this is your first time listening, hi. Uh, the show's called Better Than Yesterday. Hopefully something you hear, in fact, definitely something you hear today will help you make today better than yesterday. I've been here every week since 2013. Every Monday I'm here with a guest. Every Friday I'm here with you. And you can find me, send Osher email at gmail.com. Uh, my name's Osher Ginsberg. I'm a TV host. I'm a dad. I'm a bicycle rider while the baby's asleep. I'm going to go for a drive in the rain because we can't go to the park, but the baby wants to get out of the house. So we went and looked at boats uh, kind of guy. And um, yeah, I'm at your service. Thank you for being you. I'm really grateful that you listen. And thanks for everyone that's been filling out the survey, which you'll find a link to in the show notes. That is really helpful. I'm learning a lot and I'm, I'm really grateful for the feedback and I hope to implement some of the changes that you're suggesting into the show as we go along because that real I just want to make a show you want to listen to and I really appreciate that so you can find the link to that survey where you can even win a hundred dollar gift card in the show notes yeah all right let's get on with this let me tell you about my guest today Pete Murray is a singer and songwriter originally from Brisbane and he's now based in the northern rivers of New South Wales he's yeah he's a Brisbane boy he's also a dad he recently became a dad to four 
he spoke in our conversation about being moments away from expecting a new baby and the new little girl arrived only uh, a couple of days ago. Baby number four, congratulations to Pete and congratulations to everyone that's beautiful. He's an incredible dad. I think I really got that out of this conversation is how good a dad he is and how his own relationship with his father framed his relationship with his kids. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, really cool, this chat. He's got a new EP. It's called The Night. This is a, a cracking story. And it's, it's wild because we're nearly 400 episodes in. We've heard this story before from whoever it is. But the story is the same, even though the outcomes and the intentions are different. It's beautiful to hear it again. I mentioned this on Friday. It's beautiful to hear that there is a method to getting the things that you want to create in your life. And it's been repeated again and again and again by guests on this show. And here's another great example of how it works. Pete Murray will probably want to tour as soon as he's allowed to tour. So go and check him out. He's Pete Murray Music on Instagram. He's also just PeteMurray.com. That's where you can find him. Like I said, his new EP is called The Night. There's a link to it in the show notes. In show notes. Nouns? Show notes. Enjoy this conversation with Pete Murray. Look, I'm grateful to have you on the show today, Pete. Thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for having this conversation. Um, it's always nice to speak to another person who, I guess, before it is what it is now, reached escape velocity from Brisbane which is yeah. a place that we both <laughs> came from. Okay. And it's hard to describe to people what Brisbane was like growing up. Uh, you know, I, I like to say that if you think the National Party is fun in federal government, try and imagine what it was like when they were running a whole state. What do you remember about what was going on? Well, you know, I'm from Chinchilla. So I grew up in Chinchilla until I came to Nudgee for grade 11 and 12. So then, you know, grade 11, 12 through for that, the next decade I was in Brisbane until I left to go to Melbourne. I was always keen to get out of Brisbane, but I just didn't know where to go, what to do. I always wanted to go to the coast and, you know, I wanted to get surfing and just have that lifestyle. Now I'm in Byron Bay, I've got that lifestyle. And that's what I was looking for years ago, but like, what do you do? What, you know, how do you go to the, to go to the coast? What's the job you do? And you kind of get, you know, you get stuck in, in the city, a bit, a bit drunk, I guess, until you find a way out. But, you know, I remember... I've kind of got into music late too, but I remember talking to the Powderfinger boards and, you know, the days that the state government, the, the Queensland government were quite brutal with, with the um, music industry and really had some strict rules on that and, and even just going out, you know, it was an interesting place to be. But I kind of missed all that stuff. I was um, into my sport. So, you know, for me, I was like into the athletics and rugby in the afternoon and, you know, go drink at the pub or whatever, but, you know, I didn't notice that, you know, on the music side of things, what, what was going on. Um, but talk to the Pelican boys, I'll tell you a few, few stories. <laughs> I haven't spoken to those guys since the Channel V days, but uh, besides the odd backstage beverage at Splendour, I haven't seen them in, in a little while. What do you remember about, for folks who don't know where Chinchilla is, can you kind of describe what kind of place it is? Yeah, Chinchilla's... Uh, well, it was, a, it was a small country town, you know, when I grew up there. It was like 4,000 people, I guess, maybe 6,000 in the whole local district. It's it's farming land. Everything's there pretty much. There's, there's also fruit. That it's famous now for watermelons. They have a watermelon festival there. They've been doing that for years. So it's basically anything with the land, it's, that's what it is. So my dad was a watchmaker jeweller. So I lived in town and all my cousins were on the property. They were truck drivers and had cattle and stuff like that. So... So Chinchilla's four hours drive west from Brisbane. You go through Toowoomba, Dolby, and then Chinchilla. And the drive from Dolby to Chinchilla, you pretty much do it with your eyes closed. It's a straight road, uh, about 25 minutes drive, then a, a slight little right bend. Keep going for about another 25 minutes, and then there's a little left bend. You keep going for another 25 minutes, then you're in Chinchilla. So you pretty much do that. It was the most boring drive for me every time we come back, you know, back home. So, What was it like as a kid then to go to do grade 11 and 12 in the city? Exciting. Yeah, I asked to go. My, my parents were, were threatening me in grade 8 because I was quite lazy or laid back, whatever you want to call it. You know, with school, I would have a mate that would just kind of muck around quite a bit. So I was happy just to trying to get through school and get a pass, you know. I never tried hard at it. So, and they always threatened, you know, you're going to, we're going to send you away to boarding school. I was like, I don't want to go to boarding school. I'm happy here. Then I, but then, I, you know, for me, the um, the sporting opportunities and I think also just even the education was the opportunity to, to go away and learn more and to compete in a greater level 
with sports sportsmen, you know, to get to that level and compete was exciting for me. So to go away from Chinchilla, I think I got tired of it when I was it became a teenager and you're wanting more. So to go to Nudge in grade 11, 12 was a massive step. You know, I was good at sport. I remember going and I made the first um, rugby team, which was incredible there, as you would be aware of uh, from Terrace as well. You know, the, the rugby is everything at those schools. You know, it's like it's it's kind of too much. Uh, I, I didn't understand how big it was. But to be there at, at a troll game, you know, we had like a couple of thousand people there. And it was my first game. And I remember Chinchilla, we had 50 parents at a game. That was a pretty big crowd, you know. So it was a massive step up to go to a school like that. But that gave you a real drive because sometimes as, as a teenage boy, there's so much going on inside your body that if you don't know where to aim that cannon, it can get, you know, yeah. there can be some collateral damage. Did that give you some focus at least? Yeah. Look, on a lot of levels, I had a lot more focus when I, when I went to Nudge. Because at first, I remember talking to a teacher at Chinchilla. Like I was successful in my sport. I was successful in swimming, athletics, and, and, and footy. So, you know, I was at national level on pretty much all those things. And so I remember talking to this teacher who said to me, are you sure you want to go away, go away to school? Because like, wouldn't you rather be a, a big fish in a little pond than, you know, going to be a small fish in a big pond? And I went, well, isn't that the challenge? Don't you want to go and try and become a big fish in the big pond? Whoa, I can't but, believe he but, said that to you. I think it's, you know, country teacher going, oh, mate, you just don't go away. Like, this is, what are you doing? You know, stay here. <laughs> um, so for me, the, the excitement was to go away and try and do the best you, you could do. And, and even on the level of study, we had to go and study three hours a night back then there was no muck around so suddenly my grades just bumped up as well and so you know for me you're just doing so much better on, on all levels in the studies and on the sporting field it's just such a big big boost coming from a place like Chichua yeah it's exciting I remember what it was like we went to very very similar schools and I remember there was a lot of pressure we were kind of the future lawyers and doctors and you know I guess, politicians or policymakers of the community. And there was a lot of pressure to go into university and a lot of path that way. You feel that pressure? Oh, and when I didn't make it, I felt fucking useless because I'd been told my whole couple of years of like, no, this is where you have to go and this is where you have to be. And when I didn't get into uni because I didn't do very well at school, I was like, well, I don't know what to do now because I was never told about anything else. I didn't. There was never yeah. any, any pathway out of that. Did you? Was there pressure for you to go to uni? It's very interesting you say that. I didn't feel the pressure, no, because I think I was just doing my own, my own race. I was doing my own thing and I wasn't too concerned about that. All I wanted to do was just have a lifestyle and do a job that I that I loved. That was the main thing. I didn't, you know, for me, becoming a lawyer or even a doctor seemed like, God, it's a lot of time you're going to spend doing something that you don't want to do or treating people's problems, dealing with people's problems. And, you know, like I, for me, I didn't want to be locked in the one room for the rest of my life doing, you know, a job. So I remember talking to my dad about this when, you know, coming to the beginning, go, what do you want to do? And I was a bit unsure still what I wanted to do, but I kind of really felt like I wanted to be travelling and getting around the world. What was the job that, that I wanted to do, you know? I was loved sports so much. I got into, started doing natural medicine, which I loved. That was something that interested me, you know, I could continue doing my sport. And then I thought, well, I'll start working with other sportsmen and women. Uh, when I when I finished, and I started doing a little bit of work with some physios as well, and but then I, I was going back to the same place every day, and I was kind of indoors, and I felt really trapped. Like this is not what I want to do. So eventually, I went overseas for a while, and sort of, you know, things fell in place. But at school, you know, I, I did find that those schools ha- are a little bit like this in the way they think and the way that they want to educate you, and, and rather than going, hey, there's this. You can do anything you want. Don't just go, hey, this is what we're going to try and be, you know, a lawyer or a doctor or that sort of thing, you know. So there's yeah. just so many other avenues. I remember, like, music. I didn't do music at school. I did after school. And I remember there's only a few guys that did music. And, um, you know, it just wasn't a big thing. It's kind of all the, the nerdy guys, you know what I mean? I was still friends with them, but they were kind of nerdy guys that, would, that would got into music and they were good. You know, I remember, I remember being very impressed. We had a grade 12 retreat that he was and. I remember these guys got up and jammed, and I'm thinking, wow, like how talented are these guys? I had nothing to do with music at all in my life. Yeah, right. I remember seeing these guys play and jammed on a song or something. It's like, wow, incredible. I was blown away by that. You know, so definitely, and even having my kids when I started to think about, do I send them to Nudgee? Because I love the tradition of what school is, but I thought it is a little bit like there's a certain way that people think there. 
in those schools. And I think you don't have to go there to be successful to be successful in, in anything. At our school, looking back on some of the things I found when I was cleaning up my house, I was like, wow, they really pushed that religion thing quite a bit to a point where as an adult, I'm, I'm uncomfortable seeing the kind of language they were using and things like this. Do you remember, you know, that sort of thing at your school? Yeah, look, it's, it's Catholic school. The Catholic religion is very, they push hard with it. And I'm Catholic, but I'm not a practicing Catholic. You know, I kind of, I was like, struggled going to Mass, you know, on the odd occasion I would go there. And I kind of thought to myself, there's a God there. You don't have to go to Mass every weekend to get into heaven or, to, you know, to be a good person. So I had a little different, I guess I have a little bit of an alternative view on things where I guess those schools are a little bit like spreading the line. It's what you've got to do. And you know, with with the Catholic religion, and it's just that's just the way it is. I think yeah, that's the only way they know how to do it. So yeah. it's, it's very. This is what happened, and this is what happened years ago, and this is what where we are today, and this is what we have to do. It's like, okay, I don't think you have to do that. You know, I'm not sure if it happened exactly that way, but that's my opinion. You know. Now you've been around the world. You've you know, there's kids in your life. You've you've been up. You've been down. You've been up. You've been down. What's your view on it now? What's your view on I don't know spirituality and things like that now? Do you have one? Yeah, I um, first I didn't send my boys to Nudgy, and you know, I think not, like not giving Nudgy a hard time. It's a great school, great school for the right, right kids. But I think around this area, there's some great schools, and the, and the kids are got a great base here for what they do. There, I love the surfing element, having been close to the water. Spirituality now, you know, I believe um, that there's a spirit world when you when you pass on. I, I feel we just go straight from this life straight into the next one, you know, into the spirit world, and. and you know, I, look, I had a um, friend of mine who was a clairvoyant, you know, and I remember going to see her one time and she was saying things like, so, you, you, you know, your dad's here and he's mentioned things to me and I'm like, hey, you wouldn't know that. Like, how would you know that? And, and it was kind of interesting. So my point view changed on the Catholic religion, I think, from when I started to you know, get to know her and knowing what, that there is a spirit world there and, you know, having a little bit of communication. It might sound weird, but my view changed and I remember saying to a friend of mine, you should go and sit slowly because both her, her parents had died. And I said, your view on death will change once you communicate with her. And I said, you probably more than likely communicate with your parents. And, um, and she did. She said, yeah, unbelievable how my view on death has changed from what, you know, talking to this person can communicate with um, spirits. Because it's only things that, you know, you know that's true and you know that they can't make that stuff up. So it's weird, you know what I mean? I know that's probably a lot of people going, you're you know, a wacko. <laughs> no, I don't know. Like I'm just like, that must have been intense. That must have been quite a powerful experience for you. Yeah, it definitely was. I think so, you know, when when that happens, like I, I'd never experienced that before, never even thought of that before. And um, then suddenly, you know, I've had times where, you know, you, you can kind of communicate a little bit, you know, with, with my dad who passed away near I finished school. So... Um, it's interesting to know that there's it's not quite exactly the same as, as what you've been taught as a kid. Does that give you a sense of peace? It does. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not I don't fear death. You know, I think there was a time I did sort of you have everyone fears death and dying. Uh, oh, I'm way more relaxed about it now with what's gonna happen down the track. Not that I'm wanting to leave anytime soon. I'd like to sort of remain here as long as I can and do the best I can and you know about to have my fourth child, so I want to be around as long as I can. Because my dad died when he was 47 and I was 18, so I felt like there was a real, wow. a real loss for me in that that time. And um, so I, my goal is to be here for as long as I can for the kids. I can't imagine what that would have been like. One of, one of my best mates lost his dad when he was around that age. But let me ask you about what was it like when you were 47? Did you stop and think about, oh, my goodness, yeah, and that was a really strange moment for me, you know, when you're reaching the age that your dad was. And I remember to the day I, I worked out on the days it was past his 47th birthday. And um, when I got to that time and passed it, it was like, it was weird that coming to that moment I was about to be older than But I never felt like I was older than him. I always felt like he was still, you know, 20 odd years older than me, uh, even though wasn't you know and then and now I've passed that time it was, it was a really strange moment I remember just being it was a really eerie kind of time for me you know for a few weeks when you got to that, to that yeah. stage and you're older than your dad my god I got goosebumps just thinking about I'm 47 now 
way too young to die, isn't it? You know, so he had, <sighs> had a heart attack out of the blue, which really surprised us and didn't see it coming at all. So it was a, a sudden um, loss for the whole family and, and the community in Chichua. So for him. And especially a town of 4,000 people. Oh, my goodness. Everyone would have known each other. And for you, what, I'm just doing maths, you would have been around 18? I had just turned 18. So I basically went out in October mm-hmm. when I turned 18. And um, I, we went out and had a, took a couple of mates out to dinner in Brisbane. Mum and Dad came down, took us out. And first time I had a couple of drinks with him and we just felt like I was talking to him as an adult. Yeah. And then two months later he was dead. And that was the thing for me that was really hard. So, you know, that I had to kind of deal with that loss when you just don't feel like, oh, this guy's a great guy. And I've always thought he's a great guy, but I'm starting to know him better as, a, as an adult. Mm. That's the thing that really, really hit me. So, it was tough. I can't imagine what it would be like to not only try to come out into the world as an adult, but to try to do it without a father figure in your life. Those years must have been very difficult to try and find your place in the world. Did music become a part of that reimagining who you are as an adult? I picked up a guitar when I was 21, 22, quite late. You know, Dad had died when I was 18. I felt for the next five years I struggled really quite a lot. And um, I didn't realise, but I was obviously going through a little bit of depression. When I got to about 20, I remember kind of you know, waking up in the morning and and you sort of so tired you didn't have breakfast and I'd have to go back to bed and sleep again. Then I'd wake up and I'd have lunch and I'd be so tired again. I'd go back and sleep again for the afternoon and then I'd get up and I remember had football training. Rugby, I was playing at Brothers at that, that year and uh, first year in A grade. And that's kind of the only thing I was really doing. I just um, struggled with what, you know, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I think it all just came ahead. And that, and that's 12 months I just really struggled. And I only reading later that, you know, what uh, some of the signs of depression that you, you're tired, you know, you're always tired and you can't get going. And I, that year I really struggled with the whole thing. I think not knowing what I wanted to do, not having dad there to talk to as, you know, get some advice from the father, like what, um, just all sorts of things, you know, that, that's everyday life, what you're doing, becoming a man from 18 to, you know, early 20s. That wasn't there. And it was a really tough time. I'm not saying that, you know, Losing your dad at, at any age or your mum is an easy thing. But um, for me, that's what was really difficult in those years. And I remember it did take a long time to get out of it. Once I started to, you know, started to get into natural medicine after that, and then I started finding my way a little bit more, you know, it was, it was, I went overseas for 12 months, and that was the real big thing that I went, wow, this is what life's about. You know, you go overseas and at that age, your whole world just opens up. You know, because we've kind of been in this little world. I've been in Chichilla, which is this, and then Brisbane, yeah. which is this, you know, and that's it. Tiny and little then, boxes, yeah. Yeah, and I remember just going, you know, this is just, I remember going, I wanted to leave the place. And going overseas, I didn't know how long I want to be, but that's when I started playing guitar a little bit. That's like before I went overseas. When I went overseas, I, I'd met buskers and I suddenly just got into this thing that I was loving, you know, playing music and learning how to play guitar and my life started to really open up from then. But, yeah, those early days of that, that period from 18 to 22 were it was a pretty tough time. Once you discovered guitar, though, what was it about playing that you just didn't want to stop doing? Why, why did you not want to put it down? Why did you want to learn it? You know, I think some guys just have the passion for it and some don't. And it was really hard to play at first. And my fingers were, yeah. But I remember the first lesson that I had. A good friend of mine, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you this little story, which was really nice. I called Charlie Clark. I met him because I went back to Nudges of Boarding Supervisor and, and Charlie was there too. He was, he was about 10 years older than me. And I met him and became really great mates. And he one day just came to my room and said, you know, I, I want to, uh, I'm going to go and get a guitar lesson. The boys want to play the guitar and I'm going to find to do it. And I remember thinking, oh, that sounds pretty cool. Like I've never thought about that. But that sounds great. Maybe I might go and do the same thing. It turns out that I did. I got a couple of lessons and he never did. So a few years later, you know, I got the chance to get him around to my place and say, mate, come around, let's catch up. Because he was teaching at the Gold Coast and we kind of didn't see each other for a couple of years. And um, he 
he's in Brisbane. I said, come around, I want to show you something. So we've got the guitar out. We're big Neil Young fans. So I played a couple of Neil Young songs. And he was like, wow. I said, mate, it's because of you that I started. And you'd saying it to me that day. That's the, the only reason why I picked this up. And then about six months later, he had an aneurysm and passed away too. Oh, my God. So uh, and I, I was, yeah, 22 and he was 32. And uh, it was just this, you know, another major person in my life is gone. I named my first son Charlie after him. So, but, you know, like that's a really nice story because if it wasn't for that guy, no, I wouldn't be doing music. And I believed in, I be, you know, I believe in fate. I believe I was meant to meet him and he was the reason why people could turn up going. But the lessons, you know, the lessons I remember going to the first lesson and the guy who was um, teaching me kind of arrived 10 minutes late and had to leave 10 minutes early for, you know, sort of like 10 minutes with him. And he was, um, he said, look, what do you want to do? I said, I just want to play guitar and sing, I guess, you know, just simple stuff. He said, oh, great. Well, here you go. Here's a G and a C and a D chord. And um, I remember he played the Joker from Steve Miller, you know. Try this and you sort of pass it over to me. That instant I'm going, obviously I should have picked something up then because I knew nothing about chords or anything on the guitar. And I said, look, can you show me that again? And he, he just did it, you know, G, G, C, C, D, D, G, G. Try that. And I was like, at that moment, I went, I, I can't do this. This is too hard. I should pick something up at that stage. And he said, do you know nothing about the guitar? I said, no, I don't even know how many strings are on it. No idea at all. So he was like, okay. <laughs> we started from the real basics, you know, and um, teaching the course. So it was like trying to get these finger patterns that you're going, how do you do that? You know? But I just had this love for it. But once you started to play some of these old songs that you loved, you know, like Neil Young, Simon and Garfunkel, and the songs on the acoustic guitar, it's just like, great, you know, and I just loved it. So for the next couple of years, I just was basically in my room, you know, playing and traveling around the world and just learning how to play and learning what to do, you know, and how to get better at it. So, and that's something that I was still looking for a job that would allow me to travel the world to get paid. I didn't know what that was, and I didn't think it was music because music was just kind of fun for me. And that was never going to be a serious thing. So for that to turn into a serious thing, it's just a kind of freaky thing that will happen. It's one thing to learn covers and artists will pick up a brush and they will paint in the style of or they will draw it with a pencil, they will draw in the style of because it's a style they recognise and you don't want to reinvent the wheel every time. But there's a point where you have to have the balls to go, you know what, no, I this melody and this song that I have to sing in these words, they're worth me putting down. And some people never jump across that road and start having the the balls basically to go, oh, no, 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 I can write a song and what I have to say and sing is worth it. Do you remember when you first felt that? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I remember I had a friend of mine say, listen, you should get a gig. You're getting really good at this and you should get paid for it. So I was like, okay, I'm sure. So he said, I found a bar that you could go to, Dooley's Hotel. Tom's place, it's called. There's a little yeah. bar. They had the top pool room yep. bar. And then there's a little bar down the bottom. That, I don't know, maybe held a couple hundred people. And great little bar. So he said, go check that out. So I went in there and Jan Dooley was there and uh, took the guitar and said, I'd like to try and see if I can get some work. And she said, yeah, great. We'll just go to have some lunch. So why don't you jump up there and play a few songs? Said, okay. I like played three songs. And by the end of the third month, she said, great. You're fantastic. And this was on Wednesday. She said, can you start this Friday? And I'm like, uh, sure, you know. And that, that's when I started, like, shitting myself. That was like, holy shit, like, I've got to play this to now for out of, you know, people. And so I had to race home and try and find a PA and all this stuff that I had to try and work out how to do it. And I remember driving in on Friday night, petrified. And I got halfway down, I stopped and turned around and started driving back home again. I, was, I thought, I can't do it. I was just way too nervous, you know. I was like, I stopped the car. So just turn around and go in and, and get this done. So I went in and made the whole night of sweating, you know. It was just like this, I was petrified in the whole thing. I played there, did four sets, 45-minute sets, and um, it was a great vibe, you know. For the first three months, I was that every Friday night, I was, just, I was basically packing it and just like so nervous about the whole thing. And uh, I got through that. And after a while, I thought, this is great. I could do this forever, but. About six months into it, I remember thinking, this sucks. You know, you play to a bunch of drunks. And I don't know how many times I'd be sitting there playing and the microphone would be accidentally bumped into my mouth. And I said, oh, 
you know, so you, you kind of um, dealing with drunks, they want to hear all the same songs. And I thought the only way that I'm going to be successful in this business is if I write my own songs. That's the only way. So I remember the moment that I did that and six months into that and I went, I'm going to go home. And the Doolies were great because they gave me two gigs for a while. They're Friday and Saturday night, so I was earning whatever, 500 bucks a week, and I could survive off that. And I could go home. The rest of the week I just started to – I remember going, I'm going to write songs. And I remember the first day I was at home trying to write a song and I remember being so frustrated because I couldn't write a song. You know, it's like, how do you do this? This is a real challenge. But I persisted with it. So for two years I sat at home and I just I wrote songs and songs that came out, songs like So Beautiful, were written in that first year that I was writing songs, which was a big hit later on. And pretty much a lot of those songs made up with the Feeler album, which was a big album that sort of opened everything for me. So that two years was a really successful time, even though I wasn't earning any money from it. But it was frustrating. But, you know, you have to spend the time. That's the thing that people don't want to do because you've got to be persistent. Three things in the music business that you need to be successful. Persistence, persistence, persistence. And that's what you have to do. Uh, and you just got to, you've got to write, you've got to go and you've got to knock on doors, try and get gigs. And so it's challenging, you know, and that's why people give up and can't do it because it's very hard. When you record something, then the next level is you've got to try and play somewhere. Who's going to want to listen to you? And it's just, it's really hard and you're broke. You've got no money. I remember moving to Melbourne from Brisbane to try and get things happening because the Brisbane scene was doing quite well for me after a few years. But I needed to get away to get to a different audience and Melbourne was the place to go for live music. And um, going there to make things happen was even, you know, that year was very challenging, probably the hardest year of my life, I think, with work trying to make things happen. It was challenging. Once again, I think I might have fallen into a bit of depression or anxiety. I remember playing a game of soccer with some friends and I could hardly even breathe. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. But it was just anxiety. Not sleeping at night. You know, not wanting to go to bed at night because I knew I'd wake up at 3 a.m. sweating, panicking. Mm. At that stage, I think I was 30 and I had nothing. No money. All my other mates were getting good jobs at that stage, starting with kids. I had nothing. You know. So it was a really challenging time to be in that position. I've, you know, I've been doing this podcast for a while now, but there's a few things you said there that just, it's not rocket surgery because it's the same whether you're, I don't know, you work in real estate, you're an architect, you're a financial planner, you you manage a household. It's just you've got to be willing to just go out there and be not so great for a while and you've got mm-hmm. to take it in the face for until you learn how to be really good. You can't just go, here I am, I really want to do this and now can yeah. I please have all the money and adulation, please? No, I have to go and play four hours a night, twice a week to a bunch of people with a skin full of Guinness who only want to hear that Bob Geldof song again, you know. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, if everyone had success straight away, it wouldn't last long, you know, because it's the journey of getting there. And, you, and you've got to really take it in. What what it takes to get somewhere is really hard. You know, they say that you know, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. That's true, you know, it could take a very long time. But how rewarding is it when you actually do put the time and effort in and then suddenly you have the success? So great. If, if I had success in the first week, I would probably have worked as hard. Yeah. And it might have lasted as long. So, I mean, the good thing with my career is it's been longevity. And that's from day one, I really want this longevity. You've got to work hard for that. And I would say it's easy to have success, but it's definitely harder to, to maintain success once you've had it. And that's the thing that, that becomes really hard work. And you see yeah. the music business, you'll see so many acts and so many bands come in, be the flavour of the month, win all the Aries, and then you'll never hear them. Yeah. It's really difficult to try and to hang around. It's so wild to have seen the industry change so much in the time that I've even been in it. It works completely different economically to when you and I started. You know, you could yeah. still make money selling units. You could still make money. People bought a physical thing. They bought a widget. Now the widget's free. The only way you can make money is selling a ticket. Yeah. Pete, where do you sit on the, the monetary value that we place on music these days? Something that people will use every single day. It's a product people use every day of their lives. Well, where do you sit on the value that we place on music at the moment? Oh, it's very poor. Years ago before the, the streaming sites, the streaming started happening, 
I remember sitting on a plane with another guy, I was 40-something, another mate of mine who I just happened to sit next to him and I was trying to explain to him how the, how the industry worked and I had a girl who must have been like 19 and she was on the other side. So she, and this is the time when then people just downloaded music for free. Remember that period? And, and oh, they just stole it like Napster or LimeWire or something, yeah. Yeah, it was killing everybody. So, And I think this girl's opinion was, well, no, I think I know her opinion was music should be free because she always got it for free from whenever she started doing music. Like it's always been free. It should be free. And I said, why? Oh, it just should be. And I was like, okay, well, if you had a dress shop and I just came in and said, I'm just going to take this dress and give it to my wife, you've got like 10 of the same colour that are all being printed at the same place. I'm just going to take one of those. Thanks a lot. See you later. What, how would you feel about that? I said, oh, you can't do that. Why not? Well, it's my dress. I said, well, you know, we spend money recording music. It costs us money to do that. So you're taking it free. It's the same thing. So I don't think people really understand. With the streaming now, it's changed. It. There, there is uh, royalties come back, but it's not great. You know, you've got to have a million streams and I think you get about six or $7,000. So, you know, it's, um, it's a lot. But then you've got, you know, record labels that with, with artists that will be claiming most of that stuff as well. So the artist really is the last person to get any money from it. So live touring is the only way you're going to make money pretty much. You can pretty much guarantee that that's where you make money because no one's taking money. Other than agents and management and, you know, venues. So it's still the same thing. You're the last person that gets paid, but you're going to get money. You'll, you'll make money. Well, you should make money if you're smart about it. And that's what you've got to be, you know. I guess smart in the business because it is—it's tough business. Yeah, I think the hardest business you know to try and be successful in is, is music. Yeah, but it's a business where you know, I mean, you know, I had a song play at my wedding, and it's this three minutes of vibrating symmetrical air vibrations that every time I hear them, it makes my heart skip because I remember dancing with my wife in front of our friends on that day, you know, and that should be valued and it should be paid for. Though, where do you stand on, you know, kind of going back to, I guess, the older model of patrons to an artist of something like whether it be Patreon or, or Twitch or something where people subscribe or Bandcamp? Where do you see that? Like, do you see that as a pathway or is that just kind of a pittance compared to what it really is worth? Honestly, I, I don't know if you can even really compare it now. That's, that's kind of, those days are gone, you know, but I think you've got to look to the future and what's going to happen and how you can keep moving ahead. Streaming is, like I said, there's a royalty there now and artists can have success internationally now um, where years ago without that it was very difficult because it was controlled by record labels and, you know, if you're, for example, is signed to Sony Australia, great label, you know, Dennis Hammond's the boss of the company, great mates with Dennis and they've been awesome for in Australia but not so great overseas. No one's wanted to release. It happens a lot with, you know, Aussie artists trying to get released overseas if you do a deal from Australia. It's very, very hard. But with streaming you can get that, opportunity to get out now because back then if my music wasn't released people couldn't buy it couldn't get it on cd there you just couldn't hear it so that was it you couldn't tour um, well, these days you can hear it so that's i guess the positive of that and um you know like i said it comes down to your touring and your publishing it's when, when you own the songs and that's the thing that's really important those two two areas where you can make some money it's just it's hard these days because there's so much music out there. there's so much there's good and bad you know and sometimes the bad's just, the most successful one, personally. <laughs> Some of the stuff that I've heard is like, what is that, you know? Yeah. But it opens the door to everybody and everybody, whether you're good or bad, you have a chance of having success. So there's the streaming stuff and the, and the, the monetary value on that and who, who gets paid what, you know, it's a tricky one. It seems like Spotify, the company, they make good money. What they give out to the artists, I think, is not amazing and should be better. And that's probably something that probably should be looked at. But, you know, easier said than done. Previously, like, the way you'd written songs was it was you by yourself for the, the new EP that you put out, The Night, you did a lot of, of co-writing. How do you approach that? Something so personal as trying to communicate an emotion to a listener through a song. How did it feel to give some of that to somebody else and try to work with that person and connect with them to try and create the same message? Yeah. First time doing that was pretty scary for me because, like, like I said, I've always done my own music. I've always um, taken my time to do what I need to do, you know. I mean, there's no pressure when you're sitting there in front of someone else who's another songwriter and they're good at their trade. You, you don't want to be the one that doesn't bring anything to the table. So it kind of makes – it pushes you to, to be good 
what you're doing to bring something that they can go, right, that's great, love this, you know. I found it easy to do that, but I was nervous, very nervous. The first co-writing session that I did, I pretty much wrote 99% of the song. I sat up the night before because I was so nervous I wasn't going to bring it to the table. I kind of wrote the music and I think I've got a song here and I went in and kind of had an idea of what I wanted to sing about. So by the time I, we got in together, I said, look, I've got this song and I played the whole thing. I had the music all there. And then I was so nervous, I just basically started throwing the lyrics down and while well, he was kind of working on the production side of things and recording it. And I remember at the end of it, I went, let's write 99% of that song and he's going to be 50%. So I kind of thought, next one, just kick back and let these guys bring something to me, not just give it all. So because that's what I've always done. So the next session, I just went, I just sat there and I said, what have you got? You know, and then I said, what about this? You know, and so then we started really having a great collaboration on that and you can let them bring part of their ideas and their feel to you because it's, I seem to find most artists the same. You probably find there's a similar sound that they have and even similar lyrics that they might use that work for them, you know, and that's, or phrasing. So if you've got someone else there with you that's different to you, there's different phrasing, there's different lyrics, there's different content that they'll throw at you, and that's when you really start getting some great stuff. And I did some great co-writing with some, you know, this is a good song for these guys, and, and the EP has probably the best review since Feeler Days. So something's working really well with that. And it's been, um, for me, it's, it's obviously been successful. So that's, uh, you know, a great one. And I'll continue to do it because I really enjoy that. And I think I've probably got a bit sick of my own sound for a while and just writing, I've got to get a bit bored with seeing now on my own and doing stuff. So it was really nice to go in a room, we've got to write a song today. We've got to get done. And that's it. It's got finished. And you do. You get done. Just taking a moment away from Pete Murray's fabulous tale to talk to you about a bit of economics and a bit of cross-promotion. So I might need to plan out in a moment, but before I do, I'd love to talk to you about Idle Australians, which is a new podcast that I'm making with James Matheson. Jimmy the Sandstorm Matheson and I have returned to the fold and it is an absolute cracker to be making a show with Jimmy. We are covering all kinds of things across the wide breadth of our remit, which is Look, let's just look into the bits of history and culture that we might have kind of let slip through the cracks here in Australia. This week we spoke with um, Peter Alexander, the extraordinary Peter Alexander. He's really freaking cool, man. And um, we had a really good chat with him. And I think the thing I'm, I'm really digging the most actually is just because James and I have been mates this whole time, but... You know, so many people don't realise that we we stay friends and we still talk all the time. And it's I just really love having a chat and a, a catch up with Jim. And, and clearly, James is also very happy that we are making a show again together too. Have a listen. I love we're doing a show. You know, yeah, it's different to other shows that we've done. L- lots of shows have you know writers and researchers and producers and floor managers and audio technicians and assistant directors. And their shows, that's a show. Yeah. This has some show-like elements. What I would dearly love to have is pyro because I know that there was always a fun time when you and I were on a show that had pyro or at least a confetti cannon. You can find Idle Australians wherever you found this podcast, I-D-L-E Australians, and, um, yeah, enjoy that chat with Peter Alexander. Right, we'll get back to Pete Murray in just a tick. If you hear an ad here, thanks for helping me pay the bills. If you don't hear an ad, here's some more Pete. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I've got to hand it to you, Pete. Like, from the young man that pulled the U turn and drove back to Dooley's on the night that you were too afraid to do it 
to the the guy who's sitting here who's like so nervous he's like I'm going to co-write but I'll write all of it I want to have it to be aware of that just to know that you have that and go I'm just going to challenge this thing that I is my body's wanting me to do this but I'm just going to challenge this and know I'll be okay that takes a lot a lot of people never get there Pete so I've got to give you credit for that man yeah thanks man yeah thanks well, look I think we we fear things that's the thing I, I wrote song opportunity about that that song is so inspirational for a lot of people because it's about changing your life if you're unhappy, find the exit, get out of it and change it because it, it'll be worth it for the change. And this, one of the biggest things in that was like the fear of possibility that, that we have. It's like what that can be, but what's going to it's going to change now. Like, I'm too scared to do that. Even though I might not be that happy, I'm going to stay here because it's safe. I'm going to stay in the safety zone. But life's about challenging yourself and doing something that's different and putting yourself out there. And if you fail, then you've got to learn from that and then you try and do something again. You know, that's the thing. Don't think because you fail that, you're a failure. To be successful, you have to fail, and that's where you learn from the mistakes and you'll be better at it. So that's the whole thing. You know, I think being scared, and look, I get scared too, you know, to do that. I got scared to songwrite with these guys, and now it's like, okay, now I'm not scared, but I was. And, you know, to even play at Joy's at night, I was petrified, but I did it. And then it gets easier. It's like a job that you do. I'm sure the first interview you ever did, you would have been petrified, nervous. What are my questions? You know, what's next? You know, it's just now. Look at you, you know, if you do this so easily because you've done it for so long, but you, but you get over those fears and things just happen. I still get nervous, Pete. Don't worry. I still get <laughs> I still get nervous. I just kind of kind of try and use that energy as a, a signal to be like, oh, here we go. Ready? The house lights have gone down. Let's on. It's game yeah. time. Well, you're good at it. So, you know, that's the thing. And, and so, you know, there's been years of, of practicing. You know, you've, you've got to step out of that comfort zone. You're on yeah. TV. You know, TV is a pretty challenging thing. Like when, when the camera goes on, it's like, all right, you're on. It's scary, you know. So that scares a lot of people, that sort of thing. So whatever anyone's doing, taking them out of their comfort zone is going to be a challenging thing. But just kind of do it and, and yeah, be okay if it does fail and get back and have it back again. Do you try and instill this in your kids? Absolutely. I've always been believing you can do anything you You know, there's nothing that, that you can't do. If you really put your mind to it, and, and have those, you know, start to write your goals down, what you want to achieve. Obviously, I mean, yes, there are some things you can't do, but, you know, we, we kind of being realistic, you know, when you write your goals down, you can really achieve a lot more than what you think. And, you know, I used to write my goals down. I still do. Like some of the boys there too, like, you know, write these things down and, you, and they'll come through, they'll happen. You know, it will happen if you keep reading it and you keep doing the right work or what you need to do to make it happen. So here's my goal. And these are the things that I need to do to achieve that. But I think I need to do to achieve that. And that's when you start to go, okay, if you're not doing them, it's not going to happen. You must got to keep doing it. keeps you kind of focused on what, what you need to do to be successful. And it's really goal setting is a really important thing. Small steps, small goals, you know, and then big ones as well. So you, where do you want to be later? But right now, I've got to, I want to achieve these sorts of small things because if you set a big goal and you go, oh, I didn't get that. That's a big one. That's going to take a bit of time to get there. You, you're just going to feel deflated and like, what am I doing this for? So small goals to sort, of, to sort of get you where you want to be. Setting out your life, you know, what I remember years ago after Dad died, it was a big thing for me to go, what do I want to do? Because Dad worked his whole life. He had sold his business. Mum and Dad bought a caravan and I were about to travel around Australia. So he was, uh, and they were going to move to the Sunshine Coast. And that was where they were going to kind of semi-retire. Dad was going to pick up some more work at the Sunshine Coast, but they were going to, Spent 12 months going in Australia and he, he sold the business and he worked for this guy that bought his business for 12 months. He finished and one month later, he died. So for me, I was like, that's not going to happen to me. I'm going to make sure that I live my life. This is about lifestyle. It's not about being, you know, the richest person in the world. Or not, don't need to be greedy. So it's about lifestyle and what I want to do is to stay happy. And that's the thing for me. I really thought about that. I don't want to work for someone else. I don't want to be working on an hourly rate because you're just trapped to that and you're limiting yourself what you're going to be paid. So don't put limits on what you're going to be paid and what you can achieve. You want to be paid. This is whatever is going to happen. It's going to happen. But I want to be free. I want to travel the world. I want to do these things. So what am I going to do that's going to make that happen? It did take me a little while to work that out. But once I worked it out, it was all made sense, you know. So, But it, once again, it's in those early days of, early 20s, I thought, well, we could do it in time, really. But for me, it was in those early days of really working out 
what I wanted and what I didn't want to happen. Like I said, what happened to Dad? I didn't want to It's okay. I was angry about that. I was angry that he didn't get to. Um, I was angry he's gone. I was angry that he didn't get to enjoy his life after working so long. You sound like someone who, and it's amazing you get your kids to do it, to write these things down and go, just have a look at it and remind yourself every day of which direction you're going. We all had a lot of goals this time last year and then we all had to go, okay, we're not going anywhere, no one's going anywhere, you're not going on tour, I'm not making TV. How did you find the moment where you're like, I'm just going to have to let all this go and I'm just going to have to be with not knowing how it's going to end and I'm just going to have to hang around there? How did you find the lockdowns that we went through in 2020? I had recorded the night, the EP, that was pretty much in the bag and I was thinking of just getting mixes done. So that was finished. So it was hard to go, what do I do? Because normally you tour it and you promote it and that's, that just wasn't going to work. So that had changed a lot. So we, we pushed the, the dates back pretty much by 12 months like everyone did. So 12 months I just basically went, okay, what do we do now? You know, and we've been talking with management about what we do, and I end up um, my management fantastic. We started thinking about let's, there's a couple of opportunities came up with doing a, a song for an ad, and there was a Kmart ad, and they wanted to do everlasting love in this world. Open up your eyes, everlasting love. They wanted that version, so my manager did pushing for me to, to do that. So it's like, let's do that. You've got to start to look at different ways. That you can do that now. Probably years ago, I would have gone, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing a cover of someone else's song for an ad. But you know, when COVID hit, everything was out the door, and you know, trying to be a cool person, you just like, you've got to, you've got to earn money, you've got to keep things going. So, kids are hungry, <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. So, you know, that, that happened, and, and that was a, that was good for me to do that. You know, we started to do things like that, that were just a little bit different, but you know, that I couldn't tour. So, what do we do? Um, as far as being home and with family, I loved it. It was great because being a musician, you're on the road so much and you're away. And you know, to have the time at home with the kids at that time, I loved it. It was great. And I think all musicians that I spoke to, we were missing the live touring, but we loved being home with family. So that was the best thing about it. But, you know, just I think once again, reevaluating what you had to do, and then you suddenly, you know, at home teaching the kids and looking at their homework and trying to help them out and trying to understand how you do maths again, you know, because maths is all different now the way they teach the kids compared to what they were doing. So all these different challenges that come your way. Did it make you change the things that you wrote down as far as goals? I mean, is it certainly, I don't know, for me, it made me go, what am I doing all this for again if I'm missing all this stuff all the time? Like it made me think about things differently. Yeah, we just basically pushed everything back. And so I thought, look, I spent the time in the studio a little bit more really trying to work on the second EP that's about to come out or be coming out soon. So I spent time getting that together. And just kind of also we, we pushed the release back so I was looking at extra things I could do for the night EP as well. How do I make that better? So it was more time trying to, to get the songs right so they could be the best that they could be. And and just really sort of waiting to fire 12 months later when we, when we come out with that, with the shows. So that's really just pushing things back. And as far as what you want out of life and as far as what you do it all for, did the time spent at home change that? Well, we're having our fourth child, so <laughs> that's sort of changed a few things. <laughs> Four? <laughs> Holy moly, we've got two on <laughs> flat stick. So, yeah, so, you know, like, we talked about that. We planned that with the fourth child and, and um, so we're kind of looking at that now with dealing with before how we worked that out. We were basically we're only two weeks away from having a baby. Wow. We're, when we're just... We built ourselves a barn a little while ago, just kind of, we'd moved into that and we're about to rent about a house. So the timing couldn't be worse for this whole thing. You know, having a baby, living in the barn, it's kind of like geez, when Jesus was born, you know, it's sort of in the, <laughs> out in the barn. Although it's a pretty nice barn, so we can't complain to yeah, the classic Grand Designs episode. You're like, you, you've moved into the shed down the back of the property. <laughs> the baby's right. going to come halfway through construction. <laughs> I know, I know. But the you know the old house we need to do something with it. So the old my wife said the kitchen's bad. We need a new kitchen. So it's, uh, it's it'll be great. Fourth time around. How are you feeling uh, with the baby on the way? How do you feel? Yeah, look, it's still exciting for me. I, I think my two oldest boys, Charlie and Pedro, are now seventeen, and Pedro's nearly fourteen. So they're redoing really their own thing. 
I've got a close bond with those boys and my little daughter now has three and another little club coming. I don't know what it's going to be, boy, but I've never found out. I like not knowing with the kids. It's exciting. But I think just doing it again with two little ones again, because it's so exciting with, with the kids. And I found, I mean, I loved when they're kids and growing up. It's just such a great part of your life. I remember thinking, like, gosh, if I didn't have kids, like, they'd be older and you kind of, what do you do with yourself? You know, you just kind of focus on yourself more. But, you know, kids and your family are the most important thing in your life, as you would know. And, and that's where your real, your real happiness is, you know, when you're with them. So, you know, we're all getting excited about it. I think even the boys, too, they're, they're sort of hoping for a boy because they want to do boys' things together with the boy, you know, where Sachin's going, you know, the girl, dolls and, you know. So, look, I think it's just an exciting time for us yeah. to do that. And I've always wanted to have more than two kids because mum and dad, we said two kids, as myself and my sister. And when dad died, we felt like such a small family. And I, that's another reason why I wanted to have more than just two kids. So um, it's funny what you go through, isn't it, you know, in life that makes you change and, and do what you do. Oh, Pete, I could talk to you all day, man. I'm really grateful I had the chance to talk to you today. I'm really grateful we managed to connect today. Um, and Jesus, could Blues Vest actually happen once? <laughs> I was dirty on that. I mean, I was dirty on that. I, you know, and it's tough because, you know, as, as everyone's aware, you've got um, the Blues Vest, you know, 15,000 people at a, a big venue, all outdoors, got cancelled 24 hours beforehand. But then you've got, you know, in Brisbane where the virus came from, the footy's on and there's 30, 40 plus people going to a, to a stadium. That you're all going to the toilet at the same time. You're all going yeah. to get food at the same time. You're all going from trans, public transport to there and from. What's the difference? I don't think the government understand what the music festival, especially the blues festival, it's not like young kids running around off their head drunk. You know, it's like people, it's a mature crowd. Everyone's kind of really will do what they have to do. I mean, if they put something in place where you wear masks or no dancing, People are sick to it. You know, I just did a, a bunch of festivals called By the Sea. We had 8,000 people at Kamala. And people sat down. People were really good with the rules and there's no cases for, you know, COVID. So we can do it. It's just stop panicking and, and let it happen. I felt sorry for the for the food vendors, the guys there that yeah. went out and water their food and then suddenly 24 hours later, oh, sorry. Yeah. People don't really spare a thought for the kind of travelling circus of people who support those festivals and they just go from one to the next to the next to the next from the toilet people to the fence people to the like they just live their whole life on the road doing that stuff and there's so many jobs so many jobs in that industry that rely on live venues and live entertainment that have just gone it'd be interesting to see how it recovers but look as soon as Blues Fest gets the green light mate I can't wait to go back because I I love Blues Fest and I, I certainly hope it can uh because Wolfie will be old enough, you know. We'll be, we'll, I've got the backpack and everything for him so he can sit and see above everybody. <laughs> nice, nice. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a great festival. I, yeah, I love yeah. it too. So hopefully we can get it happen, mate. Yeah. Be really good, man. All right. Look, congratulations. Good luck with everything. And thanks for taking the time to talk to me today, Pete. Thanks for chatting, mate. Good to talk to you. Ladies and gentlemen, there is Pete Murray. Thank you for listening to the show. You can find Pete Murray and great photos of Pete Murray cradling his new baby in his giant python-like arms. Um, yeah, the guy's ripped. What can I tell you? He's handsome. He's a beautiful singer-songwriter and, you know, he looks good holding babies. Pete Murray Music is where he is on Instagram. You can also uh, listen to his new EP. It's called In the Night. I'll pop the link in the show notes. Enjoy that. Uh, wherever you are in the country, uh, we're on the... I don't know, by the time you hear this, you know, Sydney might be locked down. We're in COVID town. I've had two swabs in the last week. Clear. Clear. All right. Spent two hours in the car waiting for my swab yesterday, but that's the right thing. We've got to do the right thing. We've got to try as hard as we can to do the right thing. And for goodness sake, <laughs> if I could get a vaccine appointment quicker than a couple of weeks, why I would. <laughs> going to try my best. Try my best to get that done as well. All right. Look after yourself. I'll talk to you on Thursday with Jimmy on Idle Australians and Friday I'm back here. So thanks heaps. Enjoy the Pete Murray EP. It's pretty great. Until we speak next, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.